Hey everyone, I'm your host Jamika and you're listening to It's Kinda Crazy with this week's guest, Eli Bieri. Eli is an amphibian biologist, born in the United States but currently living and studying here in Sydney. He shares a lot of really cool and crazy stories today, uh, including the time he and his best friend sailed from Fiji to Australia with no prior sailing experience, as well as a lot of really cool stories from his time studying amphibians all over the world. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy, and here we go. I also love you got your frog shot. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got a few of those? Yeah, oh yeah, I oh, got yeah. a ton. A little collection? Yeah. Um, I was going to start, I was just going to like cruise into it yeah. with like, how do you, now that you've been in Australia for a little bit, how have you found living here? Uh, I love it. I'd say for me, like people always ask me what the difference is like I see between living in Australia and the U.S. And I think um, the big thing is just Australians are so laid back. Like in the U.S., it's just such a hustle culture. Like I think people identify with their work a lot more, um, which is cool. But also I I think the work-life balance just gets really skewed. And I think it's something Australians like have right. There's just such an emphasis on like really enjoying your weekends and um, camping trips. Like, I mean, Last Christmas, Roxy and I, my girlfriend, were camping and like just a road trip for Christmas time was yeah. awesome. So I, I don't know. I, th- I think um, for me, just like the layback culture is pretty good. Yeah. Even Sydney, you see it. Like Time off like over Christmas is a massive thing here. Yeah. But it's like everyone just takes the month of December off. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. But your guys' holidays over there isn't like December is not your big holiday because yeah. it's obviously in the summer. For right. You. Right. But yeah, the holidays. I never run a no like when i work with americans they're like oh wow you guys get such a nice break yeah. for christmas yeah whereabouts in the states did you grow up so i grew up in in michigan oh um, wow awesome yeah so where yeah so where gab and i went to uni which is northern michigan um in michigan's upper peninsula i was like an eight hour drive south of there um wow. so yeah i mean it's a, it's a pretty big state but we grew up with the great lakes um that's pretty cool yeah yeah, yeah. learn to surf on the lakes Gab said talked about surfing on the lake and I was like that's so bizarre like growing up here with the beaches yeah she was like oh it's not like it's not like this no it's it's a bit different it's so cold (laughs) yeah because and she was explaining how cold it would be in the lake and I imagine you'd have wetsuits on right yeah yeah five four seven mil booties and gloves but yeah everything everything but um it's nice because you get like a little more sense of camaraderie and there's way yeah. less localism, of course. I mean, there's no crowded waves, really. So it's you just have like, to be super keen to go out and do yeah, that, right? Yeah. So people are always drinking beers in the parking lot <laughs> together and just like stoked, you know, just <laughs> yeah. to be out there in those conditions. Like, yeah. So I, I, I do kind of miss that from surfing the lakes, but yeah, because it's a much bigger thing here. Like, yeah, the culture of surfing is massive. Yeah, it's huge. But which is cool and competitive. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. got to fight for a wave here, yeah. <laughs> which sucks most of the time. Um, so you grew up in Michigan. Yep. You went to college in Marquette, yep. where Gab, who was on an earlier episode, did. Yep. What was your degree that you studied? So biology with a focus on ecology. Okay. Yeah. When did you decide you wanted to do that? At what point in life did you be like, yes? Pretty early on. Um, as a kid, I was obsessed, like so many young kids, like really into dinosaurs and dragons. <laughs> and I remember like this distinct moment of learning uh, dragons weren't real. And it was devastating. My sister told me. Yeah. (laughs) Is she older? Yeah. 10 years older. Oh. Um, So my dream of being a dragonologist was crushed. And (laughs) then I remember my mom bringing me to this reptile show at the zoo and they had a bearded dragon there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a real life dragon. (laughs) She was The hope is alive. (laughs) So then the thing became like, oh, reptiles are the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, So I used to spend all my time like just kind of waiting around swamps looking for turtles and snakes and frogs and is there a lot of that around where you grew up yeah yeah quite a bit my grandma lived like right by a, a ton of wetlands so yeah yeah I had, I had plenty of time just to hang out indulge that interest as a kid yeah that's awesome so for anyone who wouldn't know maybe what the ecology and biology degree entails what yeah. what is it put um, simply I guess yeah so you take a lot of sort of general courses like chemistry biochemistry things like that uh, general biology and then um, with a focus on ecology, you, it's pretty broad. So I, I took a lot of like wildlife biology classes, genetics, things yep. like that. 
um, ichthyology, which is the study of fish, herpetology, reptiles and amphibians. So it's really fun. Like yeah. you're just learning about animals, which to me was never any work. <laughs> super broad as well. Yeah. Like yeah. cool. Did you later dive into one specifically? Um, like one area of that specifically? Yeah. So I've always been sort of interested in herpetology, which is the study of amphibians and reptiles. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so in my undergraduate degree, I got to do a bit of research on salamanders. Um, That's cool. And then, and like during the summers, you'd have three months off. So I'd usually work a job. Like I worked one summer for the National Park Service. Oh, awesome. Um, and then another summer for the U.S. Forest Service. And that was doing like endangered amphibian monitoring. So That's sick. Yeah. All around Michigan or do you get, get no, to that, travel? That Forest Service job was in California. So in the oh. Sierra Nevada mountains. Cool. Yeah. A bunch of camping, hiking. Yeah. And like. I don't know. You kind of have to pinch yourself when you're getting paid to walk around with a net, catch frogs. <laughs> like it was basically my childhood dream. So. Yeah. I was going to say little you would be like, oh, yeah, this is sick. We're getting yeah. paid to do this now. Yeah. <laughs> so was college for you everything you thought it would be? Because I feel like the American college experience is very different to ours over here. And Gab talked a little bit about yeah. that. But was that what you thought it would be when you went? I think so. I think there were some surprises like um, for, for example, I got into surfing and skiing and rock climbing. Like, yeah, you, you just kind of, it's really easy to find a community that yeah. suits you in, in college. Like you're living with a bunch of like-minded kids your own age. So, um, yeah, I just got introduced to a lot of people that, I don't know, got, got me involved in some cool things. And, um, yeah, so I, I'd say overall it was what I expected, but, um, and a lot of fun. It sounds yeah, so much fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it yeah. sounds awesome. So uh, you graduate from there. Mm-hmm. What made you want to come here? Was that initially like straight after graduation? Yeah. So there, there was a bit of time between, um, I worked in a poison frog research lab in North Carolina. Wow. Um, and then my lab, um, advisor there sent me to Peru to do, to do some field work for that project. No way. Um, so, but within this time, I'm kind of thinking about graduate school. Yeah. Um, and I'd started emailing, you know, potential potential advisors for that. Um, and I got in contact with my current advisor, Jody Rowley. Um, and she's just like a huge name in herpetology and she's amazing. So um, like just the idea of working with her was was pretty cool. Um, so that had always been kind of been the goal. And I started applying for for scholarships at that point. Yeah. Um, so you eventually hear back from her. Yeah. Was that a pretty surreal as yeah, you just for said, sure. She's a massive name in yeah, your. Yeah, for sure. Um, that was pretty exciting, and then it was just like, okay, now I got to find some funding to do this. Yeah. Um, and so then my friend Darren and I, we had talked. I mean, even from knowing Gab, uh, we had talked about like, oh, maybe when we graduate from from university, like we'll move to Australia together. <laughs> yeah. We'd always kind of joked about it, never been that serious. Um, but my friend Darren and I were like, at this point, like, okay, yeah, let's, let's we're gonna move it. to Australia. Like, this is gonna be fun. Was it just from knowing Gab? that the Australia thing kind of eventuated or was it something that you always maybe thought of yeah, doing? I think I always, um, I was a huge fan of Steve Irwin as a kid. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, of course. Yeah. 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 So with herpetology too, it's just like, it's sort of a Mecca. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of always in the cards. Yeah. And then Gab just added field. <laughs> like, yeah, now we know one of them. Yeah. Like, yeah you're like, yeah. well, we have to go now. Yeah. So you get the, is it a master's that you're doing yeah. here? Yep, it's it's a master's currently, um, but it's looking like it might evolve into a PhD project. That's really so, cool. Yeah, and you study under your advisor. Yeah, yeah, under so Jody. Two years. Yep, two years, two year program, and I'm just over a year in. That's so exciting. Yeah. How long would it be if you have to extend to a PhD? Uh, it'd be at least a year and a half extra, so I'd have okay. like two and a half more years. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. So I imagine I don't know a lot about ecology here yeah. amphibians reptiles but one of the big ones for australians that i think everyone listening know is the cane toad yeah which you actually wrote a really great blog piece on oh, and thanks. i'll link it somewhere yeah, because yeah, it yeah, was cool. a re- no it was a really good read um but i think that's one that all australians know but i think you had a really interesting perspective on it in that yeah blog yeah it's interesting because i don't know when people people ask me what i do and i tell them oh i study amphibians like of course australians always go to the cane toad like oh yeah. you know those fucking toads <laughs> yeah yeah uh so everyone's got cane toad stories um, they're a little bit demonized here these yeah guys. which i mean rightfully so they've done a lot of damage to the economy and the ecology here yeah um 
And I mean, if your dog was killed by a cane toad, you'd probably, <laughs> you'd be <laughs> you'd pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, people always want to tell me stories like, Oh, like I, I love hitting those things with golf clubs or something. And it's just like, what makes you think as an amphibian biologist, I would like to hear that. <laughs> I, you know, I love these that. things. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so I, a, I've always got mixed feelings about that. It's a big one. The golf club one. I hear that yeah. one a lot. Yeah. Especially from like people I know that live up like North, like Queensland. Yeah. Way. Definitely Queensland yeah. Thing. yeah. I know, but that would put you in a weird spot to be like, yeah. okay, yeah. thanks. Thanks yeah. for telling me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, yeah. People come up with creative ways to kill cane toads. I think. Yeah. I think it's like the unofficial sport of Australia mm. or Queensland, at least Queensland, at least definitely. Yeah. So to get here, you sailed from Fiji, right? Yeah. And that was definitely not the original plan. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask, yeah. how did you end up? So was Fiji just a, a stopover on the way to Australia? Yeah, kind of. Um, so where to start with this? So Darren and I had a friend from lake surfing um, who, yeah, met him surfing and he and his wife fixed up this old sailboat and decided oh we're just gonna sail it down to like the caribbean okay um and then sail it back to michigan yeah um but then they were down in the caribbean and covid happened this is like 2020 yeah okay uh he was an airline pilot so the airline was like no laid work. him off yeah um so they were like okay fuck it we're gonna keep sailing so they did and fast forward like three years they've got the boat in fiji and they know darren and i are moving to australia and almost as a joke Kyle, that's his name, uh, texted me and was like, hey, do you guys want to buy a boat in Fiji? And Darren and I had always like dreamed of being on a sailboat with surfboards and like just this pipe dream, like nothing serious. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, we don't even know how to sail. So I texted Darren like, yo, Kyle wants to sell his boat. Like, what do you think? And he was like, we should do it. And <laughs> that's crazy. So we, but we told Kyle, of course, like we don't like Darren had a little sailing experience. I'd never even been on a sailboat. Wow. Um, so we told Kyle, like, we didn't have any experience. Like, there's no way we're doing this. And he's like, doesn't matter. Like, come to Fiji, live on the boat with us for a few weeks. We'll teach you how to sail. Yeah. Um, so, so they were getting rid of it. Yeah. They had to get rid of it because COVID was ending and he had to go back to work. Oh, the airline wanted him back. Um, so we had, I was in Peru at this time. Yep. And Darren was fixing up a van um, with plans to drive it down to Mexico. But he was like, okay. Like, let's go for the boat thing. Yeah. So he sold his van. Um, wow. And my parents were living in Hawaii at the time. So I left Peru, flew to Hawaii. We met each other there, um, got jobs trying to make money and learn something about sailing, which we we didn't do well. Um, <laughs> didn't get much of that done. Yeah, no, we just mostly surfed and drank beer. Easy to do in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, fast forward then a couple months, we end up in Fiji, still knowing nothing about sailing, <laughs> and we own a boat. You're like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's sometimes the best way to, if you just get thrown in the deep end, you're like, I got to learn. Yeah, for sure. I mean, th then it like, it was definitely stressful being in Fiji with this boat that we had no clue about. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, we had no other, ch other choice but to practice sailing and pretty much every day we tried to raise the sails and <laughs> <laughs> learn, to, learn to sail this thing. But So you spent some time in Fiji learning? Yeah. So we were with... Kyle and Missy, the previous owners, for I think three weeks or so. That's still not a lot of time. Hey? Not a ton of time, but then we had like a month and a half on our own. Okay. Um, Bef and we just before did, you took off. Yeah. So we just did a bunch of island hopping and surfing, and yeah, it was a blast. Um, yeah. But definitely stressful at times. Because that's a big. It's not. It is a pretty big way from Fiji to where'd you sail to in Australia? Yeah, to, we arrived in the Gold Coast. Yeah. Southport. How how long did that take the whole trip? I think it was 16 days wow. leaving Fiji and then, yeah, dropping anchor in Gold Coast um, with a stop in New Caledonia for like two nights. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, what were, was there two highs and two lows from that boat trip? Oh, yeah. The lows would have to be... Laughs. <laughs> You're like, oh no. <laughs> well, leaving Fiji, we immediately got hit with a ton of wind, oh. um, which, I mean, we were... We were kind of expecting, um, but yeah, I, I think it's hard to describe like until you're actually out there on a 40 foot sailboat, like how big the swells actually feel and how small you feel on that little boat. Yeah. So I think we both, even though we knew like to expect that we were still like, holy shit, this is intense. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing around. Yeah. I mean, you don't see anything and we're just both like, 
a little seasick and just like battling these winds and just like unsure of, you know, how to set the sails and <laughs> yeah. everything. But, um, yeah, then a few days in, like the winds calmed down and it was like pretty smooth sailing. And, um, yeah, we, we started having a bit more fun. <laughs> Got a bit better from there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd say another low would be, this is around the same time. So now the wind's calming down and Darren and I, like I mentioned one day, like, Hey, does the drinking water taste a little salty? Oh no. And then I just was like, okay, it's probably in my head. There's no way there's like seawater in the drinking water. Um, but then like the next day, undeniably saltier. So it's like, okay, we've got a problem here. And cause you're in the middle of the, middle of the ocean, yeah. right? Yeah. So, oh. I mean, fresh water is a big one. Luckily yeah. we had a couple jerry cans of like emergency water. Um, how did that happen? What happened? So it's actually because we had a rain collection system where if rain falls on the deck, there's these little scuppers that normally would drain off the side of the boat. Yeah. But we had a system where we could redirect it into the water tank. Okay. Um, and there's just a Y valve. So you can close or open the valve. Yeah. And like we double checked, the valve was closed. So there, like any waves that were going over the side shouldn't be going into the water tank. But it turns out this Y valve was really old and it was just leaking. Mm. So everything that went onto the deck was like <laughs> leaking into the our into the drinking water. supply and this became like really disgusting when we remembered that darren had been like puking on the deck oh. and we'd all been like peeing off the side and you know this is just like yeah. filtering into <laughs> our water so you're like great yeah great how much of this was seasickness and how much of this was just <laughs> disgusting water yeah. yeah oh right two highs two highs to bring okay back. Yeah, yeah yeah um new caledonia was really fun just like uh really str- i mean it's a it's a french colony yeah um so for me it was just kind of weird to be in like this tropical paradise with people you know like french guys walking around in striped <laughs> shirts eating baguettes like yeah, smoking like, cigarettes this like doesn't look right yeah this isn't paris um so that was cool and we we had a lot of fun in new caledonia I was, like just partied for a couple of days and then started yeah. sailing again um because how that's it that's closer to Australia than Fiji. Yeah. Right? It's, it's basically like right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a perfect place to stop, especially because, um, we were trying to like dodge another storm. Oh, um, so that was really fun. And just like a cool cultural experience, even if it was only for a couple of days, I'd yeah. like to go back, especially because there's like really cool reptiles. They have yeah. awesome sea snakes and geckos. And, um, so I want to go back on like a more of a, like a work kind of, yeah. Yeah. Just if you go do some more work. adventuring. Yeah. Yeah yeah and then you make it here yep on the boat finally yeah and that was a huge relief like okay we made it that's a time to celebrate yeah Yeah. i was gonna say that that would be calls for a huge celebration yeah and then um so i have to we were on a pretty tight deadline because i had to start school here in sydney yeah um which is why we kind of left in sort of a questionable weather window to begin with right and they say we kind of have to go yeah and they say in sailing like making passages you never want to sail on a schedule or have a deadline yeah so like we're making a huge (laughs) mistake there to begin with um so i flew to sydney to start school darren's still up in the gold coast with the boat Mm -hmm. and now we're looking for a weather window to sail from the gold coast down to sydney which is like maybe a four day sail okay um but i wasn't even sure if i'd be able to get back up to sydney yeah to make this because he needed he needs someone else to do it with him exactly so now we start looking for a crew member um and through mutual friends uh we get well darren got introduced to roxy um who's just this badass sailor surfer chick uh she grew up on a sailboat her parents sailed around the world when she was a little girl so she lived on a boat for like six years so cool so she steps onto this boat and has way more experience than either (laughs) of us like our crew member is now basically our captain yeah (laughs) You're so, like, we need that girl. Yeah. We need her. Yeah. So I flew back up to Sydney. Uh, I mean, back up to the Gold Coast from Sydney. Um, met Roxy the night before we were sailing down. And then, um, yeah, we, we really hit it off on the, on this. Just sit, we had five days on a boat together. Like, it's, yeah. it's pretty easy to get to know someone. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, a year and a half later, Roxy and I are together. And so cute. Yeah, loving life. It's, it's great. That's awesome. So I'd have to say that's, of course, like a, that's a highlight of the trip. Oh, yeah. yeah. Such a good end to the trip. You yeah, know? it was amazing. So you get bound to here to study at UNSW? Yep, UNSW. And then my advisor is also at the Australian Museum. Oh, so I'm kind wow. of with both institutions, which is which is really nice. Yeah. yeah. Having So you spoke a little bit then about New Caledonia having really interesting reptiles and things. Yeah. Was there a big difference coming to Australia in what we have here 
compared to the states or yeah. other places you've been? Yeah, big time. I, Australia, like everything's endemic, like meaning it's not found anywhere else. So oh wow. Um, and not literally everything, but almost I guess everything that makes sense because yeah. we're kind of far away. So from isolated, yeah, and it's uh, like the wildlife here has just had so much time to evolve separately from the rest of the world. So yeah, um, yeah, I mean everything here is just new to me, which is so exciting. Which you know, I love the ecology back home in Michigan. Um, it's so familiar. But yeah. coming here, it's like every time I find a new lizard, it's like I don't know what this is. Yeah, and it's so cool because now I have to flip through a field guide and try to identify it. And that's awesome. Yeah, have you? Ha- is there a favorite find while you've been here? Uh, I mean, I love I love blue tongue skinks. Oh yeah, yeah. So blue, blue tongues are really fun. Every time I find them, they've just got so much personality and they're pretty funny. Yeah, they're a classic one. Like growing yeah. up here, you have they're everywhere. Yeah, just so like quintessentially yeah australian species my family just moved a house and the place they were moving into had these two i guess they weren't skinks because they're big they're like the big fat guys they're long they were old like i'm like you've lived you know things (laughs) there was two of them and they lived in the backyard like in under this garden bed and they moved there and we have two big dogs and i was like no i was like we can't let the dogs because one of them at our previous place that we lived he had killed a blue tongue lizard because it was in the yard and yeah i guess it wasn't quick enough but yeah. i was like no we have to we have to try and catch them and like move them yeah but i think they they're gone i haven't seen them since oh, we yeah. moved in nice so i was like Probably just you guys they're smart they're clever yeah. oh they definitely are that that's why i love them like they just seem like so inquisitive and yeah um yeah it's also cool they're live bearing so they don't lay eggs they just give birth to live young which is Really, kind of a rare thing in the lizard world. I was gonna say, is that is there yeah. many others that do that? There, there are, but um, it's like it's not the status quo for lizards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He is uh in the states as well, like, or um, just kind of everywhere. Like it's not yeah. common. Yeah, yeah, most mostly egg laying in the That's states. That's cool. Yeah, That's really cool. Yeah. So that was a good find here. What about I read? I'm I don't want to try and pronounce the name of yeah. your blog post where you guys traveled and then you stayed with the lady's family that was like kind of remote yeah on the where was that yeah so that was in amazonian ecuador Um, that would have been amazing yeah yeah so this was like again sort of a random trip uh i'd been working in peru and two biologist friends and i um two former co-workers who worked with me on that forest service job in california super into frogs so i had been i mean i was living in like the most frog diverse place (laughs) in the world so i of course wanted my frog nerd friends to come visit me um, so we just started scheming and came up with this trip where we, we basically, um, rented a canoe and hired an indigenous guide, um, and went down the stretch of river to my knowledge has never been surveyed for amphibians. Wow. And that um, was kind of just something you guys decided to do. It yeah. wasn't backed by anyone. Yeah, no, I mean, pretty much self-funded. Not that it was an expensive trip or anything, but, yeah. um, yeah. So every night we were just surveying for amphibians and kind of recording our observations and, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be such a cool cultural experience. Yeah. Um, we were, of course, so this area we are in Ecuador, the Ecuadorian government has deemed it an ethnic reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, so there's like still uncontacted tribes back there. And so we had this Warani guide who, of course, was our translator as well, because uh, most of these groups don't speak Spanish. They just speak their indigenous Warani language. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were like just basically rocking up in these tiny villages Um where there was like almost no trace of the, you know, Western industri- industrial world. like Which must have been so weird. Yeah, it was. Like growing up and then living in a place like the United States yeah. and just in a city yeah. and then going somewhere like that and seeing that it's not... Nothing made of plastic or like, yeah. you know, everything was probably collected. Everything they had was probably collected in just a small radius around, you know, their, their house. And it's so cool to see people that resourceful, like... Totally 100%. living off the land, and so our guides, uh, mother-in-law, just this badass woman. Like she and his sister-in-law just lived together in this little like palm um, shack they they built, um, and you know they showed us like their their blow guns. Oh my gosh! And like I mean just just they just make they yeah make themselves. every everything they like these fish traps they make to fish in the river and like. You know, they just knew everything about foraging plants and, yeah, growing yucca. It's just so cool. Um, That's wild. Yeah. Did you find a lot on that trip? Yeah, tons of frogs. I think we 
found 55 species, which in two weeks is like insane diversity. Whoa. Yeah. Have you ever found one that's like either you haven't, hasn't really been found before or it was super rare? Yeah. So I was on a trip um, and, and I, I don't know how much I can say about this just because there's still like probably being written up, but yeah. Um, say what you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Another trip in Ecuador, but this was like more highlands. Yeah. Um, working with another team of biologists, and yeah, we we found some frogs that were like, you know, possibly undescribed, and so so these like these studies usually take a long time to you know figure out if this is a new species or not. I was gonna say because yeah. surely, I guess you can look at it and be like, oh, I've never seen this before, right. but then you have to work out. Yeah, and, no one's seen this before. Right, and I mean, I'm not an expert in in this group of frogs, so yeah, there are people people that definitely know yeah. more than me with, about these frogs. So yeah, I mean, it's just pretty exciting to be in areas that you know haven't been surveyed from like a, a scientific yeah uh, perspective. And yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that would be so exciting. Yeah, being like, oh my god. Yeah, my advisor though, she's um, described quite a few species in like Vietnam and Cambodia. Um, so do you have to travel a lot to do that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, just areas that are w- what we would call understudied, mm-hmm. um, either because they're you know not very accessible or um, there's just a lack of scientific resources in in the region. Yeah. Um, and there's just like immense amphibian diversity, so it, it's like almost impossible to catalog all of it. So yeah. Um, and the hotspots for that are probably Southeast Asia, then the Amazon as well. Is that somewhere you want to spend more time once you're finished? Yeah. studying yeah definitely i, th- I mean I, if i can travel and look for frogs yeah i'm, I'm all for it <laughs> i'll that, go anywhere is that the goal is that the goal with what you're you're doing because that's a pretty niche yeah it is study yeah i i think i'd like to ideally work for um like a land management agency like national mm-hmm. parks or something and um yeah continue like being an amphibian biologist yeah i mean it's it's can you do that anywhere yeah i think so um some countries have a lot more funding for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if I want to really stay in academia. It's just pretty competitive and yeah, um, a little, you know, you spend maybe less time than I'd like actually being outside and doing hands-on research. So. Which is the fun part, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you wanting to stay in Australia once you've finished? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure exactly um if if i want to be here full time or not but it seems like a great place to you know have a home base and yeah travel from there so and move around yeah i mean it's a great place to live like quality of life wise i can't think of anywhere that's you know can can be that's pretty cool because you've been a few places it sounds like yeah definitely um and the surf's pretty good (laughs) so that doesn't hurt there's a lot there's a lot of places to surf yeah was there what were some of the big like culture shock moments when you first got here i guess you might have known a lot through gab though right yeah maybe um culture shock moments or just things that were super different when you got here you were like whoa that's weird yeah (laughs) um it's probably also familiar to you now you're just like i don't yeah i know it's hard to put yourself back in like okay when i first got here what were the things that were like yeah super surprising um yeah that healthcare thing is pretty good (laughs) yeah yeah i was i was able to get lucky enough to get medicare through my um through my scholarship program um so my first experiences with the hospitals here were like like it's weird to say an amazing experience but just yeah you know flash the medicare card and like it's like wait i don't have to do anything else like i'm not gonna be in debt like thousands of dollars (laughs) that's crazy so some like to me or to anyone here i'm sure that and we know, like it's known because you watch, you watch things, and a lot of American yep. media makes it here. But yeah, to hear about people yeah. like being scared to go to the hospital because oh, of yeah, I mean, I the debt. Yeah, I had an injury last year. Well, I guess it was this year in January. I broke my neck. Um, oh my god! Up in Queensland, and what were you doing? <laughs> it was a surfing accident. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was surfing with Roxy, and my board just hit me in the back of the neck, and. Oh. broke a couple of vertebrae but um did you black out uh i came up really woozy and kind yeah. of confused but i knew that my neck was broken because i oh, felt it instantly. i felt a crack yeah oh 
So I was just kind of floating there. Um, <laughs> and Roxy was like still out the back trying to catch a wave in. Yeah. And then eventually noticed me just like floating on the inside. And, like, oh, well, maybe, that's maybe not right. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying not to move. Um, so just like kind of holding onto my board. So yeah, yeah Roxy, uh, you know, grabbed me and pulled me in the shore safely. And then I was on the beach and she's like, okay, I'm going to call an ambulance. And yeah. as an American, my first thought was like, no, 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 I can't afford that. Like, don't call an ambulance. You're going to like, crazy. can you drive me to the hospital? Like knowing your next birth yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of a wake up call. Like, okay, maybe something's wrong with our healthcare system or that's my first thought is to say yeah. like, don't call an ambulance. <laughs> don't, <laughs> yeah, no that's too expensive. Me. Um, but you did get an ambulance? Yeah. It took two hours to show up. Really? Yeah. Oh this my... is right in Burley, like right in Gold Coast. Wow. Um, was yeah. this, oh, I suppose it's been, it's been tough recently, I think for them. Like I remember during, it would have been like probably around COVID. Yeah. Um, there was the wait times for ambulances were. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, they, they had told us they're pretty understaffed and um, yeah, apparently, apparently the Gold Coast uh, university hospital is like one of the, one of the busiest ERs in, in Australia. So, and I guess they had a busy night with some car accidents. So yeah. yeah. So you got there eventually. Is it okay? <laughs> eventually, eventually made it. Yeah. Yeah. All healed up now. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. It wasn't too, that's really lucky. Like, yeah. It could have been a lot worse. And it was like that night, um, I had a lot of numbness and I think it was just from the impact. Like it, my board hit me really hard. So, um, like the side of my neck and my jaw was all like really numb mm. um that's gotta be scary yeah so the doctor was like okay like maybe we've got some spinal cord damage like they were they were pretty nervous about the, all the numbness i was feeling yeah um so it was definitely a relief the next day to have like all the feeling <laughs> like i can feel my face <laughs> yeah. yeah that's wild yeah. was it scary getting back in the water you know the, my first session back i was like i was a bit timid yeah um but it just took like taking a few really actually taking a few really hard wipeouts to then feel like, okay, I'm still okay. My neck's still in one place. <laughs> my head's still attached <laughs> yeah, to my body. Yeah. yeah, I actually needed that to just get like ragdolled yeah. and then be like, okay, I'm, I can handle a wipeout. Like, um, yeah. So then I, I just tried not to, you know, think about it too much in the water. Oh, yeah. Getting in your head about it's never a good thing. So I remember I surfing up at Manly once. Yeah. When I, I don't know how old I was. I was still at school, but I split my head open. Same oh. thing. Like my board just came down like <laughs> top of my head. Yeah. And, split it and whatever and i obviously couldn't go in the water for a little while but i remember the first session back i was so nervous i was like oh my god it's what <laughs> and it's obviously like that happens and like you're bored hitting your neck in that spot it's such a freak thing that yeah. would wouldn't happen very often yeah you have to remind yourself like it's just totally yeah. random but i like, get out there and i'm like oh my god i can't get on a wave <laughs> yeah. it's gonna kill me yeah that's wild yeah takes a take takes a couple sessions to get your mojo back i think 100 percent. yeah something else i wanted to talk about uh-huh i hope you don't mind yeah no i did did a deep scroll yeah and i saw that you <laughs> ran the was it the sydney marathon yeah barefoot oh that's funny when yeah. was that yeah that was so not this past year the the year before yeah um why yeah. so i've been <laughs> yeah, good question um yeah i've been running barefoot for a couple of years i initially started doing it because i had like just a lot of arch pain when i was running yeah and right my, my shoes were giving me pain um and i found that out because i just started running in socks on a treadmill and i had no foot pain and it was fine and i was like okay so running barefoot like feels all right so eventually i just started like doing it outside like just a few k's here and there um was that rough to start with yeah i feel like your feet really have to get used to that for sure yeah it took a while to build up the calluses and also just i think like the foot and ankle strength yeah um yeah, yeah. to not have the support under your foot yeah and then yeah i started just doing longer distances barefoot and i like the feeling especially if i'm running like on grass or the beach or whatever it just feels nice to you know feel the ground under your feet yeah totally um, grounding yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, just started doing more and more of that, and then, um, yeah, good guess was just, like, fuck it, maybe I'll try to try to do a marathon barefoot. I honestly didn't know if I'd be able to, like, I hadn't done that much training. I was, was going like, to say, had you, how, like, did you run long distances pretty frequently anyway? Mm, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so, I honestly didn't even know if I'd finish it. It was, like, we'll see how my feet hold up, like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I finished, but it was, my feet were, like, pretty swollen and really raw. Like, yeah. it, hurt, it hurt to work walk like the next couple of days so all right because that's what 42 kilometers yeah and you see people who run it in shoes and like 
the injuries they get or even just like the chafe people get from their singlets and their shorts. Yeah. And then you're there like absolutely killing your bare foot. <laughs> That's hectic. Yeah, it was it was a fun experience. It's cool. Like the Sydney Marathon's cool because um yeah, I mean just running over the bridge is it's yeah. pretty sweet. Yeah. It feels like an iconic. Would you do thing. it again? No. No. <laughs> Hard yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah, no. Definitely not. Um I ran like a a fifty K trail run with my friend in the Blue Mountains. Barefoot? few months ago uh no i, I wore like um running sandals running so, sandals yeah it's like a it's basically just like a thin strip of rubber um, okay and that basically i mean it just keeps you from stepping on sharp things and yeah but it feels barefoot um that's 50 k's yeah do you do it non-stop um yeah pretty much i mean we took a couple breaks to just like eat and yeah but i mean i had not trained well enough he, my friend alex is a beast like he had no problem but at the end my legs were like seizing up and my knees were giving out and, <laughs> and you're like yeah. dude slow down yeah yeah so he he helped me through the end of it but yeah that was fun i i definitely prefer trail running yeah just, yeah just being in nature is so much better than running through the cityscape 100 percent. yeah did you ever get sidetracked with like i don't know like frogs or lizards yeah i, I have that sometimes sometimes i'll run like a manly dam or something yeah um yeah i'll, I'll stop <laughs> so my advisor started this this app uh, it's called frog id it's a citizen oh, science cool. program so anyone can download this app um if you're listening on a smartphone right now you should go download it yeah um but um yeah you just record frogs in your backyard or wherever um and it's this this awesome thing because now we have this data set of over a million submissions wow. of frogs calling around australia so we know where endangered species are what their populations are doing um i mean as scientists like you just you crave a data set like that yeah so, uh it, it's led to some really cool research um but does yeah. it tell you what um what it is so it's not like shazam where it can just yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> shazam this frog that would be awesome and i'm sure we'll have something like that in the future yeah um but now it filters to like you know it has your location and the habitat type you're in and everything so it filters and gives you suggestions and then you can listen to the, the different species and be like, okay, I think it's this, this, and this. Yeah, uh, but wow. the cool thing is then we at the Australian Museum get to listen to whatever recording you submitted and then we validate it. So we'll say, okay, this is this species. And then you'll get an email saying you recorded. You, you know. can you can tell the difference from listening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow, like bas- every species has it, its own call. Yeah. Um, you must have done a lot of listening. A ton of listening, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm no expert. Like when it comes to Australian frogs, I'm still learning. But yeah, I've got New South Wales down pretty pretty well. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so sometimes when I'm running, <laughs> going back to that, I'll I'll hear a frog calling in the distance, and it's like, like wait, yeah, I feel bad if I'm running with other people. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. We gotta record this. <laughs> Roxy knows like all the time. We'll be you know going for a hike or a walk, and it's yeah. like, wait, shh, be quiet. Let me record this. She's like, oh okay. Yeah, I roll. <laughs> going back to like something you just said there, how not being an expert on Australian frogs as such. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think you would have to really commit to one country or like location to get to that? Yeah, I think there is like um there's definitely something to be said for like really specializing in a group of frogs or a region. Yeah. Um and you see like my advisor like she made Southeast Asia, you know, kind of her specialty and really learned like the taxonomy of the frogs there and Yeah. Um so yeah, may- maybe and maybe Australia is that that place for me. Yeah, long-term. yeah. Where would be next after New South Wales? Uh, I mean, is there many? Would there be many in places like Northern Territory, South Australia that are really dry? And obviously, you'd get yeah. a lot of like reptile, like lizards, yeah, and that sort of thing. Many yeah. frogs though. There are some. Um, yeah, frogs are amazing because they have these just crazy adaptations. Australia is actually known for frog species that like estuvate so it's like sort of like hibernation except instead of avoiding cold weather they're trying to survive dry spells so they'll cover themselves in like a mucus layer and just try to conserve water and sometimes for years at a time they'll just sort of bury themselves hunker down and wait for it to rain and then they come out and breed what if they're wow that's they might be waiting a long time in some of those places yeah yeah seriously and then it's just like a frog orgy when it starts to rain <laughs> finally like <laughs> they've everywhere. been pent up yeah. yeah so there's some of the places like that that you'll hopefully get to go to yeah definitely yeah, yeah there's some really cool frogs in wa that i'd like to see yeah really like alien looking species so not frogs but they also have quokkas yeah which are so cute <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're not i don't think they're in they're on the island 
I think they're on, is it Rottnest Island? I don't know. You yeah, might it not sound, know. It sounds right. Yeah. yeah. I would love to go see them there. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. I've, I've yet to see another uh, Australian iconic species that I've yet to see is uh, platypus. Oh, I yeah. feel like they're a hard one to catch. Yeah. I do a lot of, um, for my thesis research, I do like a lot of nighttime stream surveys. Yeah. Um, up north and... Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll hear like a big splash or something, and I'm always like, oh, maybe Quick, it's a platypus. Go. But yeah, by yeah. yourself? Uh, no, so I always have a fieldwork assistant. Yeah, um, for just for you know, safety reasons, and it's also a lot of fun to have somebody with oh, you yeah. looking for frogs. Yeah. Does that just entail like a night stream service? Is that what you called it? Yeah, stream survey. Yeah, survey. Sorry. Um, what does that entail? Just a lot of waiting and listening. Yeah. So basically, we'll. We've measured out these like 50 meter transects along streams mm-hmm. um, just to standardize like the the distances we we survey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you'll have a head torch on and we'll play back different. So depending on the species we're looking for, for we'll play its call and then try to get the males because the males are the ones that are calling. Uh. Try to get the males to call back. And then from there, we can kind of like, OK, I think it was calling from there and we'll try to get closer and closer until we can find the frog. That's crazy. That <laughs> yeah, is, I really feel fun. like that would, you like spatially mm-hmm. i feel like sometimes i hear a frog or any noise for that matter and yeah. you're like i think it's coming from over there yeah. and it's the complete opposite oh, way. it's really tricky so we'll do this thing like if i have an assistant with me we'll turn off our head torches uh-huh. play the call and then we'll listen for it to respond and then we'll both point in the direction we thought it was calling so then we can kind of if we're pointing at the same place we're like okay it's got to be there two is better than one yeah but sometimes we'll turn our lights back on and we're pointing in completely opposite directions. Like, You're like, uh, okay, go yeah. again. Yeah. Because they echo sometimes and sometimes there's multiple frogs calling. So it's just going to be, yeah. Yeah. It's tricky sometimes. But That's really it's wild. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It seems like it'd be, especially if you had someone, it kind of goes back to what you said about uni and finding people that love something yeah. that you do as much as you yeah, do. Totally. And I imagine that is a pretty like niche. Yeah. I mean, I actually just brought my friend Dan on a frog trip. I'll call it uh, last week. <laughs> a frog trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's a school teacher and musician. So he's like not in the biology world at all. But I think he was, I think he loved it. But yeah. Yeah. It'd be pretty cool. Like, yeah. It's just something like completely different. Did you find many frogs? Yeah. We actually found a ton. That's pretty cool. Um, and we were micro tripping my study species. Micro tripping? Yeah. Frogs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? it's just these little tiny tags uh, you put just in their, in their leg. Um, and it gives them like a personal tracking number basically oh my so now goodness. if i recapture the frog later in the season or next year or something i'll know this is one i've caught before and i'll know like okay i tested this one for disease do you last scan October. them or something yeah so i've got just a little handheld scanner but you have to inject the little yeah just oh. use a little a little syringe and yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty quick procedure it takes like a minute yeah and yeah. it doesn't bother them at all like no, yeah having that in there it's like just more for you guys it doesn't yeah exactly i mean there's there's been studies on like the, the impact of this on their lives and it it's results in almost zero mortality and yeah yeah so that's yeah, really cool yeah it's a, it's a pretty like non-invasive way to to track frogs over time yeah yeah and do you do it with just specific types of frogs or just any frog you see you're like hey <laughs> come <laughs> yeah. here dude yeah 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 so it, it's just my uh like study species so mixfees belbus the southern barred what? frog um what do they look like they're just picture like a big brown frog um they're like really meaty and sometimes mm-hmm. they have a little yellow on their bellies i think they're really beautiful yeah um and my favorite part about them is a lot of times their eyes are like have this really nice like iridescent blue color oh wow um yeah really how cool did frog. you choose to so that's what your study is based on mm. that one type of frog yeah. how do you choose how do you choose that because yeah, as so, you said there's a lot of types of yeah frog. yeah australia's got i mean depending on who you ask like 250 species yeah um but Mixfees belvis was, so they've declined a lot due to this disease called the amphibian chytrid fungus. Okay. Um, which is this pathogen that just infects frog skin. Um, and and frogs, they just get that in the wild? Yeah. So it, it originally came from Asia. Okay. Um, but it's been in Australia probably since the 70s. Oh, wow. Um, and it's resulted in like massive frog declines. So this is one of those species that was really affected by this disease. Um, and then also their range was burnt really heavily by the black summer bushfires Mm -hmm. back in 2019 and 2020 um so my thesis like the heart of my question is um looking at you know how how frog species are responding to fires okay so they're kind of the perfect 
perfect study species for that um, just because they've been you know so affected by fires and then also yeah. they're endangered because they've declined due to disease so and that's something that sadly like bushfires happen here quite a bit yeah during summer yeah big time and i mean we'll see what happens with this season but it's like, it's been hot so far oh man like going up last week to some of my sites that were you know decent sized streams yeah that are just like dry creek beds right now is like not giving me much hope for yeah. this coming summer so you have places that you know to go to look for them. Yep, and then we'll resurvey the same sites over and over again. Yeah, um, can you kind of live follow the chips and stuff to see where they are? Unfortunately, not. There, there is like some kind of like radio tracking type technology. It's a little more expensive. Yeah. Um, so, but th- this, yeah, you actually have to catch the frog again to so, know that it's it's one you've tagged. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it's cool because I'll I'll drop a pin, you know, of where yeah. I caught it the first time to see if it's moved, and then I can test it for disease again to see if its status has changed and. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of cool info you can. That's really clever. From it, yeah. That's exciting. Is that something that was kind of, I don't know, made here? No. So this technology, pit tagging, um, I think it actually became pretty popular in uh, fish research. Oh, uh, okay. But then it's been, you know, they use it for all sorts of wildlife now. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have? That might, that might be your favorite frog. But do you have a favorite? frog if it's uh, not that one i love poison frogs um, yeah are yeah. they poisonous to us they are but only in the wild so okay they actually sequester their toxins from uh ants and termites they eat in the wild right. so when you keep them in captivity uh, like people do in the states you can't have them here um they lose all their all their toxicity when you just feed them fruit flies or wow um, but then if you not poison to touch so they are so they they secrete like uh, toxins into the mucus on their skin yeah um so if you were to ha- like some of the really toxic species if you were to have a cut on your hand or something it could be bad news oh but to just hold them is okay usually you definitely want to wash your hands like right afterwards and not rub your eyes or yeah yeah what but, what kind of stuff what would happen if you did like have a cut for example what are the kind of effects is it deadly poison uh, or it could be um so like some of the most toxic species um, it's a neurotoxin. So yeah, ah. it, would, it would impact your nervous system and, you know, maybe c- cause like some type of localized paralysis or, yeah. um, yeah, eventually. So why you have a lot of poison frogs? Well, there's <laughs> poisonous frogs. Actually, Hawaii is interesting because it has, because it's so isolated, there's no native species of frogs. They just never made it to Hawaii. Really? Yeah. Cause they'd have to cross oceans and frogs in salt water don't mix very well. True. Um, but there's a few introduced species. So they have cane toads like Australia. Oh. And then they have a, a species called the coqui from Puerto Rico, which they're called the coqui because they make this call that's like, coqui, coqui, <laughs> super that's loud. Um, and people hate them in Hawaii because they're really? so loud. They've actually like driven down property values in some places because they're so noisy and like keep people awake at night. Oh, my goodness. Um, Other cane toads have a similar, do they have a similar like, over there to what it is here yeah it's pretty similar so it's actually the cane toads that were brought to australia was a population from hawaii so they were brought from yeah central I remember america reading in your yeah to hawaii and then from hawaii to have they australia. done the same damage mm, not as much probably not because just because there's no native amphibians there they're not yeah. really competing against any native species um but yeah i guess i guess that's sort of a subjective thing mm-hmm. um but yeah, definitely, definitely not good. Yeah. Um, but my favorite, my favorite invasive species in Hawaii is, which is a weird thing to say, is, <laughs> is they do have one uh, poison frog, which is Dendrobates auratus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a species from Central America, and they're just beautiful green and black little poison frogs. And apparently, similar to the cane toad, they brought them over for pest control in the 1940s. This Did guy, they do that well? No, because they're not, <laughs> they're not very <laughs> prolific breeders to begin with. Right. Um, so there's never going to be a ton of them. Yeah. And yeah, so his idea was like, okay, maybe they'll eat mosquitoes and help control mosquitoes here in Hawaii. But um, which they maybe do a, a bit of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're just beautiful frogs. And I think it's, <laughs> it's like, my favorite invasive yeah, species. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did a lot of looking for them um, when I was living on Oahu and didn't find any. But you then, didn't find any? No, but then Roxy and I were back um, like a couple months ago. And we were just meeting a friend for uh, lunch in a community garden. 
and saw one like hopping out of nowhere and it was like no way like you're this like, is you're amazing kidding. yeah so that i had a total nerd moment yeah um yeah that was cool that's that very was really cool. cool where's the where's your like best find of a poisonous frog been um it would have been in peru yeah 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 i found a lot of cool species on that same trip you were talking about yeah so this i was working there for like two or three months um studying the species this is renitamea imitator called the mimic poison frog um they have such crazy names yeah yeah and they're called the mimic poison frog because they mimic um they've evolved to mimic the colors and patterns of other poison frogs because predators have presumably learned to recognize those colors and patterns as dangerous you know yeah. they know that this is a poisonous so is that this, more of a defense thing for them totally yeah. yeah wow but it's cool because they mimic like they've got four different color morphs that that mimic other species of poison frogs so it's they can like, be really hard to tell apart but like a chameleon yeah a chameleon frog yeah pretty much so they don't actually change through their life like it's different populations of the same species that are different colors oh okay yeah cool that's yeah. awesome yeah just a really cool species yeah yeah that sounds like a never-ending like interest of you could just keep oh, going forever yeah. right i mean that's why i love biology it's like every question you answer just leads to more questions and it's, yeah yeah it's so it's so fun which could be extremely frustrating or if you look at it like that like just never-ending fun yeah for sure <laughs> never-ending fun never-ending fun yeah. that's awesome um well i guess to kind of to wrap it up yeah i did i was asking this question initially and i think i did ask gab but i stopped for a while but i'm bringing it back okay. <laughs> if there is there something that you wish people either knew or better understood about what you do? Yes. I would say just, I think people should just go for things. Like, um, you don't need to be an expert at anything to just, you know, give it a crack. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like this sailing adventure that Darren and I found ourselves in, um, a lot of people told us like, what you're doing is so stupid. Like you're going to sink that boat and we easily could have, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we, I'm glad we did it. Like in hindsight, it was, you know, scary at times and stressful, but, um, we, you know, we learned a new skill and yeah. ended up with like a, a pretty cool adventure. So I'd say like, yeah, I think, um, if I, I guess what I learned from that experience is in the future, if I get presented with opportunities that, you know, seems scary. I'll maybe, maybe go for him. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that answer. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for yeah, coming on. Thanks for having me on. This no, has been fun. I appreciate you coming down. Yeah, All for right. sure. <laughs> Done.